Welcome to Chapel in the Pines. Uh, we are so excited to have you joining us uh, in this way on, on this Sunday morning. Uh, the people of God can still gather together. Uh, it might not be physically, uh, but we can still gather together digitally. We can study God's word. We can sing praises to him. And that is truly what we are called to do and to be uh, anyway. So we might not be able to gather in person right now, but but I think that's okay. I think maybe uh, when this is all said and done, we're, it's able to push back against some of these uh, maybe false idols of, of our own church buildings and our own church structures. So I'm glad that you're able to join us uh, in this way. And, and as we start, I do have one announcement for you that I would just uh, love to have, uh, have you listen to here. In just a couple weeks, actually starting next Sunday, I am personally going to be leading uh, a book study uh, this summer, and it's on this topic that is so near and dear to my heart and near and dear, I think, to a lot of your hearts right now, and it's, it's the topic of anxiety. Uh, how do we live in a world uh, that is uncertain? How do we live in a world where it seems like no matter what, when we, when we round the corner, there's some new challenge? There's something new. And how do we live in a way that, that is not just crippled by that anxiety? Uh, so I invite you to join me. I have uh, this book here. This is the book that we'll be reading. Uh, it's by Max Licato. It's called Anxious for Nothing, Finding Calm in a Chaotic World. Finding Calm in a Chaotic World. I can't think of a better book uh, for us to read right now. So if you are interested in uh, joining in that book study. We're going to start off by meeting digitally. We're going to start off uh, by meeting over Zoom. And if that's intimidating to you, don't let it be. It'll be very simple. Uh, all we do is email you a link. You'll be able to click on it and, and join. Um, and then hopefully, I'm cautiously optimistic uh, that, that soon enough we'll be able to meet in person uh, and speak. So we're going to have two times uh, that you can choose from. The first one uh, we'll be starting next Sunday, uh, that is May 31st, uh, and that'll be Sundays at 2 p.m. Uh, so if you're interested in that time, this is going to be, again, a weekly thing. So Sundays at 2 p.m., that's option one, or option two is to meet on Tuesdays at 6.30 uh, p.m. Uh, and this will be, this will bring us through most of the summer, really. There's, there's I think, 11 chapters to the book. Uh, we're simply going to go through a chapter a week. Uh, so if you're interested in joining that, here's how to join. I need you to go on and, and purchase the book. Uh, and if that's hard for you, if, if financially that's difficult, we would love uh, to do that for you as Chapel in the Pines. So, so please be in contact with me or Christina in the office or anyone else. Uh, we'd love to be able to help you uh, in that way. So, so you purchase the book and then you email me at john, J-O-N, at chapelinthepines.org. You can find that on our website. Uh, and just let me know that you're interested, and I'll, I'll be able to send you that link. Uh, so we're, I'm really excited for it. Uh, I hope you're excited for it. I think it's a really necessary uh, and good thing right now that we're able to just join together, uh, focus on this issue of anxiety, but not just kind of from earthly wisdom. We're going to look at it from Scripture. And what does Scripture say about living an anxious life and how we can push back against that? Well, here we are. Uh, we are in week four of a four-week sermon series that we've been doing on the Old Testament book of Ruth. Now, Ruth is this, this wonderful story, but, it, but it's short. 
So if you uh, are so led, I would encourage you to sit down in Scripture and to read the book of Ruth. It will only take you uh, maybe 15 to 20 minutes to read the entire book. And it is so profound and so deep, and I know that you'll be blessed. So I encourage you to do that maybe in this week ahead, uh, if you haven't done that in these last four weeks. Just a little bit of recap to catch you up with where we are. We started off the book of Ruth learning about a couple named Naomi and Elimelech. Now, they were living in the time of the judges, we are told, and they were living during a famine. So during this famine, Naomi and Elimelech, they, they uprooted their family and they moved to the country of Moab. Uh, and it was there that we learned that sometime later, Elimelech, the father of the family, passes away. Leaving Naomi as a widow in a foreign land. A very vulnerable position, especially in the ancient Near East. A very vulnerable place that Naomi is. We learn that, that they live there, that Naomi continues to live there for another 10 years. And she has two sons, and her sons marry Moabite women, uh, one of which is Ruth, uh, who the book is named after. And when Naomi leaves to return back to Judah, to Bethlehem, her, her home, uh, where she is from, we are told that Ruth clings to her, that she clings to her in loyalty and faithfulness and follows her mother-in-law back. So now we are, we are here. We have two widows. Uh, they are coming back to Bethlehem and they are living uh, a new life, a life that will be hard, a life that will be difficult, uh, but a life that we will soon see uh, in Scripture is truly blessed by God and that God's presence uh, is there with them. We then went on to chapters 2 and 3 and we were introduced to a new character, the character of Boaz. This Boaz is this farmer. Uh, he is faithful to God. He is uh, loyal uh, in, in his relationship with the Lord and he trusts God. And we learn that not only is Boaz a good man, we learn that he can fulfill this role of being a kinsman redeemer to Naomi and Ruth's family. Now this is this Old Testament idea from Leviticus 25, verse 25, that says if, if a family member falls under hardship, that is the kinsman redeemer's role, which is, which is a close relative, to, to come alongside that family, to help bring restoration and healing. And actually the role continues on even further than that. And it says, if the family has no heirs, that is the kinsman redeemer's role to marry the widow uh, from that family and to produce children. And the firstborn son of that new marriage will actually not carry on the line of the kinsman redeemer, but they will carry on the line of the one who is lost. And in that way, there will be full restoration, not only uh, to the people involved, but even to the land, as it will continue on in the same name. Uh, so we learn that Boaz is potentially one of those people uh, for Naomi and Ruth and for their family. And then in chapter 3, Naomi gives Ruth uh, the, the, the charge to go to Boaz, who has already been very gracious to them and very loving, to go to Boaz and to literally propose marriage, to ask him to fulfill this role of being the kinsman redeemer uh, in their life, 
to, to restore them, to bring them up. Uh, so Ruth, in her own courage, comes before Boaz, proposes marriage herself, which is bold, um, and Boaz is pleased with this, and we are told that Boaz calls Ruth a woman of noble character. Now, this is a woman who is a widow, who is a foreigner, who uh, is, is very uh, poor, but yet he sees her character. He sees who she is uh, on the inside, how she has loved her mother-in-law, Naomi. And Boaz tells Ruth that he will settle the matter this very day. So God is using the wisdom of Naomi. God is using the faithfulness and the boldness of Ruth. And God is using the godliness and the generosity of Boaz to bring restoration and to bring healing into this system. And and I'm excited that today we get to the end of the story. Today we get to chapter 4. But before we go right into scripture, uh, just a quick story from my own house. So uh, when Susan and I got married, we got this dining room table. uh, And it's one of those with the higher chairs, kind of the the counter height uh, chairs. And we we still have the table today. And as many of you know, we have three little kids. We have three little boys, uh, ages nine, six, and three. Uh, That's third grade, kindergarten, and younger. Uh, if you're not in that stage. And if you know anything about little boys, you know that they are constantly moving. They're constantly energetic. And, and we have these taller chairs, um, and we have them sit down uh, to do homework right now or, or to do dinner. And you can just imagine, they hardly ever sit fully down. Countless times we have told them to sit down on the chair, but yet they sit on their knees or they kind of are in the squatting position on the chair, or, or they're sitting halfway off the chair, half on the chair. And in our own wisdom, uh, as parents, we, we try to tell them that they need to sit fully down, that they will fall off the chair. We can see it coming. But time and time again, what happens is that they don't listen to our advice. They don't listen to the advice of their parents. They may sit down uh, when we say it, but then soon enough, a few minutes later, they're, they're now squatting on the chair or sitting on their knees, and sooner or later, they fall. And when they fall from these chairs, again, they're counter-height chairs, they're a little taller, uh, they get hurt. And they fall and they get hurt over and over and over again, still not listening to the wisdom of their earthly parents, and some day I think they will learn. I think they will learn that it is wise to fully sit on a chair, but that day is not today. That day is not where we are at uh, right now. And now as earthly parents, we are far, far, far from our Heavenly Father. But we do hold some amount of wisdom, right? Some amount of wisdom that we, that we wish to bestow on our children, things that will keep them away from harm, things that will keep them safe. We want what's best for them. And I truly believe that our Heavenly Father is the same way. He wants to love 
and to care for his children. But sometimes his children, they think they know what's best. Now, maybe I'm not talking to you. Maybe you are are always right, and you're always following God, and you're always sure that you are right in God's will. Maybe maybe that's you. Uh, But truthfully, uh, all of us fall short all the time. All of us turn to our own wisdom uh, far too often, and we turn away from God, and we turn away from uh, God's will, and, and we don't even seek uh, God's will sometimes in our own lives. We think we know what is best, and often we get hurt. And often it's far worse than falling from a chair. We get hurt ourselves, we hurt others, we hurt relationships. Uh, it's just part of who we are. And and one thing I can find comfort in this is that when we read Scripture and we come to the Bible, that the people, they weren't any different than us. And because they're not any different than us, we can learn from their stories. In the book of Ruth, we, we hear in the beginning of the book that it takes place during the time of Judges. Now, the book right before Ruth is the book of Judges. And if you look at the last line in the book of Judges, this is Judges 21, uh, 21 verse 5. It says this, and I think it speaks so deeply to where we find ourselves in our text today. Again, Judges 21 verse 25 says, In those days... Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. In those days, Israel had no king, and everyone uh, just did what they saw was fit. They weren't looking to the wisdom of anyone else. They weren't even looking to the wisdom of God. They were looking into themselves at their own wisdom, at their own ability to rule and to control their own lives. And in that, they often hurt each other, and they often failed, and they often didn't look to the wisdom of God. So that brings us to Ruth chapter 4. Again, we just heard at the end of chapter 3 that Boaz uh, says he will settle this matter today. He says there's actually someone who is a closer relative to you than I am. There's somebody else that is supposed to fill this role of being the kinsman redeemer in in Ruth and Naomi's family. So so Boaz is interested in doing that, but he needs to first check with this other person, because if this other person is willing to, then good. Then they should redeem. Uh, And if not, he will. So we read in the beginning of chapter 4. It says, Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat down there. So the town gate is where business was held. It's, it's not just an entrance to the town. It's, it's almost uh, a marketplace in a, in a sense. It's, it's a busy place. And, and official business was sometimes held there. So, so Boaz immediately goes to town, and he immediately goes to the place where business is held. And we read that just then the guardian redeemer he mentioned came along. Perfect. Uh, This is clearly God's role in this. So Boaz arrives. He's ready to talk to this guardian redeemer. And who comes walking down? Who comes walking into the town but this guardian redeemer uh, himself? 
Boaz says to him, Come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and he sat down. Boaz took ten of the elders of the town and said, Sit here. So they did. Again, this is also an official thing of how to do official business in their time. So he's gathered ten elders who are going to be witnesses. He's, he sat down, this potential redeemer, and he's going to do some official business here that will become legally binding uh, with these witnesses. Verse 2, Boaz took ten of the elders of the town and said, sit here, and they did so. Then he said to the guardian redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling a piece of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. I thought I should bring this matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of those seated here. Again, then it will become legally binding. And in the presence of the elders of my people, if you will redeem it, if you will redeem the land, do so. But if you will not, Boaz says, tell me so I know, for I am the one who is is right after you uh, in line. This potential redeemer, Again, his, his role according to the law uh, in Leviticus 25.25 is, is to step alongside this and to bring restoration. But we're not living in a time where people are necessarily looking to God's law. We're living in a time here in Judges where people are looking to their own wisdom. When Boaz is talking about the land, he gets this response. The man says, I will redeem it. Boaz continues on. On the day that you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. So on the day that you acquire this land, you also will, will now be married to Ruth. And, and any children from that, or the firstborn son of that, will, will have the inheritance uh, due to this family. At this, the guardian redeemer said, Then I cannot redeem it, because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I can't do it. Now, he says twice that he can't do it. But we all know full well that he could. He could fulfill this role that God has in his own life. He could step into this place and and marry Ruth and uh, continue on with his life and be a person of healing and restoration into this system. He could do it, but he says he can't. He says he might endanger his own estate. You redeem it yourself. I can't do it. Verse 8, so the guardian redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself. And he removed his sandal, which was the practice of that time. And then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, he said, Today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilian, and Malan, his two sons. I have also acquired Ruth, 
the Moabite, Malan's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. Again, the firstborn son of, of this, this new marriage uh, will not be uh, inheriting Boaz's uh, property. It will, it will go under Elimelech's line. So that his name will not disappear from among his family and from his hometown. You are my witnesses. And then all the people at the gate said, we are witnesses. And they go on to bless him and they they ask uh, that that Ruth entering his house uh, will be a blessing. Verse 13 says, so Boaz took Ruth to become his wife. When he had made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. The women said to Naomi, and if you remember from, from just a few weeks ago, when Naomi returned from Moab, the women approached her and they said, Naomi, uh, we've missed you. You know, it's great to see you. It's been over 10 years that she's been gone. Been gone. And she says, don't call me Naomi. Uh, call me Mara. And Mara means bitter. So she, she said, because the Lord has dealt bitterly with me. So, so Naomi, uh, again, we, we kind of get this flip of this. And now we, we are with the women again. And the, we're not talking about Ruth and Boaz. We're talking about Naomi here. And the women say to Naomi, praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he, meaning the Lord, May God become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, meaning Ruth, for your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better for you than seven sons has given birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. And the women living there said, Naomi has a son. And they named him Obed. Now here's where it gets really interesting. Last few lines of the book of Ruth says, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse. And Jesse was the father of David. So King David, the King David that we will learn about uh, in the next book here in in 1 Samuel, um, this is the line of David that we have been learning about this entire time. So no wonder God has been so active and so so active in pushing all of this together, uh, working all things out here. This is the line of David, and David's line will be the line that Jesus Christ comes from. So the book of Ruth is is a story of two widows uh, who cling to each other and a faithful God who brings restoration into their lives. And it's a story, again, of King David and his own genealogy, which becomes the genealogy to which Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior comes.
Ruth is a beautiful book. Um, I've, I've mentioned in several weeks now that uh, it's, it's like an onion. Uh, it's one of those stories that as you uh, go deeper and deeper into it, it's just more and more layered. It's more and more beautiful. There's so much going on. Uh, one other thing I think is just beautiful is that uh, when you get into the New Testament and you read the genealogy of Jesus, Ruth is named by name as someone who is there. Uh, it's, it's mostly men that are named. Uh, and in that time, uh, that would make sense. But, but there's women that are, that are lifted up, that are pulled out and, and held up. And Ruth is one of them, this foreigner, this widow that has entered into the line of Jesus. Now remember, the book of Ruth is taking place during a time where, where as we read in Judges 21-25, uh, it says, In those days Israel had no king, and everyone did as they saw fit. But Leviticus 25-25 told them that they were to bring restoration, and they were to bring healing uh, to their own family members when they were when they were down. But instead, the people let themselves become calloused. The people let themselves live lives that, that didn't look towards others. They let themselves live lives that didn't look at how they could restore, but only how they could protect what they had and who they were. And this, this other guardian redeemer that says, no, we're not even given his name. We're not even given the name of who that is, but Ruth's name is lifted up in the genealogy of Christ. See, we all have a choice, and as we see in Ruth chapter 4, uh, the characters in the book of Ruth, they have a choice. They have a choice to let God rule over their lives. And they have a choice, and if they're going to trust Him and rely on Him, or if they're going to try to be their own king of their own lives. God is a redeemer God. God is the one who restores, the one who provides for our needs, looking after the vulnerable and the afraid. But our God is also willing to take us back when we don't listen to him. In the beginning of this, I talked about my children and their, their inability to sit on a chair and how they don't listen to the wisdom of their earthly parents. And we are so like those children in so many ways of our own lives. And, and the people in the time of the judges were just like them also. And they were just like us. Looking to ourselves to be kings, to be rulers, to be little, little gods of their own lives instead of looking to one who had authority looking to one who truly had their best intentions in mind. So people of God, as we end this book, that is the charge that I give you, that you would uh, be able to set aside yourself, that you would be wise, and that you would be wise to know that, that in your own earthly wisdom, you will fall short over and over and over again. And we need to look to Scripture we need to look to God's word to show us the truth of who Jesus is, what he has done for us, and how we can love 
and care for others, especially uh, those that, that society and the world has placed in a place of being down and out. The book of Ruth is a story of widows in a time where it was terribly difficult uh, to live a life as a widow, a time where it meant living in poverty, living right on the edge of being able to even survive. And it's a book about how God cares for those people, how God cares for those uh, who are hurting, who are in need. So I encourage you, as you look around at this time, at this time that we're living in, people like Ruth and people like Naomi in so many countless ways live around us. They live near to us, relationally, sometimes in our own families, but certainly geographically, they are close to us. And it is our call as people of God not not to uh, ignore God, not to think that we are wise, not to think that that sitting on the chair in the way that we want to sit on the chair is still a good idea, but, but to look to God and to look to God's wisdom and to say, God is calling us to be people who bring restoration. God is calling us to be people who bring healing. God could have restored the widows and the orphans in the time of the book of Ruth. That is in God's power. God is all-powerful. But God chose in Leviticus 25, 25, to use humans, to use his people to bring restoration. And then that God uh, is still choosing that today. God is still choosing us to be agents of restoration in other people's lives.